Amen. Well, uh, take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, uh, verse 31. We'll be in verses 31 through 33 this morning. Uh, there in your worship guide, you'll see the, the title of my sermon that's there, but I was playing with a few other titles as well. So here, here are some potential titles for Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. I started with, and if I were to, to, to preach this maybe to a room of seminary students who think too much of themselves and the words that they know, I would, I would title this sermon, The Infinite Potential of the Divinely Infinitesimal. Or maybe uh, the, the, the everyday version of that title, uh, Big Things Come in Small Packages. Uh, but I've preferred to, to not, not play with silly titles. Just call it The Mustard Seed and the Leaven because that's the parable that we're looking at here today. You'll recall all of Matthew chapter 13 is a series of parables that Jesus is uh, teaching, is giving to those of his uh, close group of disciples and broader group of of people that have been following him, uh, giving them these stories, these narrative analogies to teach kingdom truths. This parable, the parable of the mustard seed and of the leaven, is, is another in... Uh, that series of parables. Today being uh, Mother's Day, this is not specifically a Mother's Day sermon, but uh, I think there are things from motherhood and from mothering uh, that we can uh, learn and and appreciate and even use to help us understand uh, scriptural and, and spiritual realities. Now, mothers, whether whether biological or adoptive or foster mom or just a, or a spiritual mom, they know, moms know, the great potential of little things perhaps better than any of us do. And those who have carried a child in their womb know the wonder of the exponential growth of that baby within them over that period of time. Adoptive mothers who have never met their child until the day that they brought them home know well how great is the rejoicing of gotcha day. Foster moms know the the joy of opening selflessly their homes to children in the middle of crisis to, to give them a safe and a loving place to be. Spiritual mothers, those who have invested their lives in prayer and love and helping others to follow Jesus are well acquainted with the miraculous wonders that God can do in the heart and life of a person who truly submits their life to Jesus in all things. Moms better than, better than most of us. Know that the incredibly small and the seemingly impossible things are things of infinite wonder and things of infinite joy. They are things of infinite value in the sight of God and by the work of his hand. Moms know well the infinite potential of the divinely infinitesimal. They know well that good things of God often do come in small packages and little bits at a time. Moms will likely resonate well, I think, with the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven that we look at today. Let's turn our attention to God's word. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. Matthew, writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He put another parable, as Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven 
that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Short text today, small text today, but big implications, I think, for us as individuals and also for us as the church. As we see these two parables, two parables that I think essentially have the same point, we see first and foremost that kingdom beginnings often look too small. Kingdom beginnings often look too small. There are here in this passage two images of particular smallness that Jesus is using. Two images of particular smallness that govern the meaning of this passage. On the one hand, a mustard seed. And on the other hand, a little lump of leaven. A little bit of of raised dough. And Jesus uses these two very little, very small, everyday objects to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. In both cases, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like... Leaven. Let's revisit just briefly the definition of what the kingdom of heaven is. You'll remember a few weeks ago when we looked at the parable of the wheat and the weeds, we defined what the kingdom of heaven is, and and we reduced it down to this, that the kingdom of heaven is the redemptive rule or reign of God in Christ. It is the redemptive rule or reign of God in Christ. God's sovereign governing of the universe in such a way as to save people from their sins through their faith in his son, Jesus, uh, is, Jesus says, like a mustard seed or a little bit of fermented dough. The kingdom of heaven, God's redemptive rule through his son, Jesus, is like a mustard seed. It's like a little bit of yeasty dough. So let's consider these images briefly and and what Jesus means by them and what he intends by them. Let's look first at the mustard seed. This is the third seed parable in a row that Jesus has told. The beginning of Matthew 13, he tells the parable of the sower and sower's casting seed that falls on different kinds of soil. Then you have the parable of the man who plants good seed in his field and the enemy who comes along and plants uh, a weed seed in his field. So this being the third seed parable that, that Jesus tells... Uh, it's different than the other two. In the parable of the soils, the focus is not on the seed itself, but on what the seed grows into in each of these soils. There, the soils, the four different soils that Jesus presents represent the human heart and its uh, uh, varying uh, ways of, uh, of, or degrees of willingness or, or reticence to receive and believe the gospel. Then in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the seed is merely a thing uh, that is sown into the ground again, planted into the ground. But the focus of the parable there is on what grows out of the seed, either wheat or weeds, and the, and the fate of each of those. The fate of the wheat, sons of God, is to be gathered into the barn, right? Gathered into God's storehouse, gathered into heaven in eternity. The fate of the weeds, those that Jesus calls the sons of the evil one, is to be thrown into the fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, to be separated from God in a place called hell forever. But here in this parable, it is the seed itself that is the driving image of the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like this very little mustard seed. Jesus says here in verse 32 that it's the smallest of all the seeds. But he doesn't say this to intend a, a universal way of, of speaking the way we often read this passage. We, Jesus is not saying that a mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds in the universe, period, end of story. In fact, we know that the, that the mustard seed, though very small, is not the smallest of all seeds in the world. There's a seed, I think, of a, a particular orchid that is the smallest of all seeds in the world. The reason we know that Jesus is not making this definitive statement that... that a mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. 
And the reason we can know that Jesus is not faulty in what he says is because the context of what is going on here. Verse 32 gives us the context of the sowing of this seed. Verse 32 says, It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Most translations will say here, garden plants. Uh, In your, your Bibles there in the pew, the Holman Christian Standard, I think the translation there is vegetables. The point is this, there are seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed in the world. But among seeds that a person would intentionally plant in a vegetable garden or intentionally plant so as to grow a crop from it, there is none smaller than a mustard seed. It's a great example of smallness. Now, while many people would like to use this point to to try to point out fault in the Bible, like Jesus wasn't omniscient, he didn't know everything, he didn't know that mustard seeds aren't the smallest seeds, Um, those people that make that claim so as to try to undermine the the reliability of Scripture really only demonstrate a failure uh, on their part to read the text in its context, okay? So when someone comes to you and says, well, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about because mustard seeds aren't the smallest, say, no, you don't understand what Jesus is saying, okay? In the context of what's being planted in a garden, it is a smallest. Now, look, if you've ever used mustard seed in your cooking or, uh, or to make pickles, you know, people put mustard seed in their pickling stuff, you know just how small a mustard seed is. Now, I had in mind to bring with me a mustard seed this morning to show you. It's, there's no, it's that small. It, it would be pointless for me to, to carry it up here with me. That's how small they are. They're usually about a, a millimeter in diameter. Now, when planting a mustard seed, as you would any seed, you're wanting it to grow, wanting to grow a crop, you would plant several seeds together. Uh, the girls and I, in our backyard, we just planted some, some flower seeds. And on the back of the, uh, the seed packet, um, there's instructions for how to plant. And it usually says plant you know, three or maybe four together in a little thing. Why? Because it's not guaranteed that every seed will germinate and turn, turn into a plant. So the same would be true of a mustard seed. When you go to plant a mustard crop, you plant several seeds together, hoping that one of those uh, would germinate and grow into a plant. The seed in this parable, though, is not one of a few. The seed in this parable is singular, and it's tiny. And Jesus says it's like the kingdom of heaven. The second image that Jesus used, the second uh, sort of uh, visual uh, illustration, is that of leaven. Here, Jesus employs a similar parable about small beginnings. But now he moves the imagery from the scope of work that men do in the field to the scope of work that women do in the home. Jesus is here, I hope that we see, an equal opportunity kingdom teacher. He illustrates kingdom truths really well for men to understand and for women to understand. Jesus is a good teacher. Now, the leaven that he speaks of here... The yeast that he speaks of would be a a small piece of fermented dough that would be taken by a woman here and folded into, kneaded into uh, what he says is three measures of flour. It's the equivalent of about 39 liters of flour, but we don't use the metric system. So 50 pounds of flour, okay? Enough dough to feed about 100 people. And now in the first century, you wouldn't be able to go to the store and, and walk to the cooking aisle, the baking aisle, and buy your little brown jar of Fleischmann's instant active yeast. It didn't make it. They didn't have it. Instead, what you would have to do, most, what, what most women would do, would keep a little bit of dough that had fermented, that had been uh, leavened, raised from a previous batch on hand, and they would take a little ball, a little piece of that previously fermented dough as the sort of leavening seed for the next loaf. 
Now, if you've ever passed on or been a recipient of uh, friendship bread, I think sometimes it's called like Amish friendship bread, right? Okay, I see some nodding heads. Y'all know what that is. You know what it is to receive sort of a, 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 a leavening seed. of some, you, you make a batch of this dough and you save a little bit and you pass it on to a friend who uses it to leaven their batch, right? And you pass it on and on and on and everybody makes bread together. So if you've ever done friendship bread, you're familiar with this illustration of using a little bit of fermented dough to to ferment a whole batch. But the point of comparison here in this parable by Jesus is again on the smallness of the leaven in comparison to what it is acting upon. This woman in Jesus' parable is taking a small ball, maybe two or three ounce ball of dough to leaven upwards of 50 pounds of flour and oil and water to make bread for over 100 people. This little bit of leaven, this little seed of fermented potential is like the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. And so whether you prefer the image of the tiny seed or the small lump of dough, know this. The kingdom of heaven begins the same way. God chooses to use the infinitesimal, the very, very small, the minuscule, the tiny, to begin his work of redemption and to display his universal rule. I would dare say that not only does God choose to do so, he delights in doing so. It pleases God and glorifies him most to bring, uh, to begin his work of redemption with the seemingly insignificant. To do really, really big things through the really, really small things. To the shame of those who looked at what he would intend to do and say, you can't do anything with that, God. It's too small. Knowing that kingdom beginnings often appear, often begin too small, should cause us to respond, I think, in at least two ways. First, number one, never despise small things in the hands of God. Never despise small things in the hands of God. When God chose to make a people for himself, he did not begin with the world's greatest leader and his kingdom of citizens, but with an old man named Abram, whose wife was barren and well past the age of fertility. When God desired to bring the nation of Israel to himself, he began by sending Moses, a man with a stuttering problem, a violent ten- t- uh, temper and a tendency to look for excuses. When God gave Israel a king, he confounded the popular wisdom of the people by not giving another man tall and strong and good-looking like Saul, but a red-headed shepherd boy who smelled of sheep and whose only serviceable skill was with a slingshot. When God brought Israel, Israel, excuse me, when God brought Israel back from captivity to follow him in faithfulness and justice and mercy out of the kingdom of Babylon, he did not bring them back by the millions, but only as a small remnant. When God sought to glorify himself by creating this universe with human beings who could know, love, worship, and glorify him, he did so from nothing other than his word. He made his own image bearers, mankind, you and I, out of dirt. When God decreed that time was right to send his son to save mankind from our sins, he sent Jesus not to be born of royal parents in a palace and with armies at his command, but to a barnyard with young parents surrounded in controversy with livestock for his only servants. And when Christ sought to build the church, he sought not kings and princes to do the work, but a small band of uneducated men who gave up everything to follow their master. Christian, if you look around at the world today or the state of this church or the state of any church, 
and you see nothing but an impossible task ahead for taking the gospel to the nations or for this church to have a significant impact among the lost in Albuquerque, you are in danger of despising the small things of God. If you lament the fact that your church is smaller than others, if you are sad that your Sunday school class has fewer attendees or that you're the only Christian family on your block or in your neighborhood, you haven't been paying attention to your Bible, Christian. Friends, God begins his kingdom with mustard seed sized people and circumstances. He takes the gospel to the nations with mustard seed sized churches. If you if you feel small, if you feel minuscule, if you feel infinitesimal in a gospel sense, it is quite likely that you are just the right size for God to begin working in and through you for his purposes and his glory. Never despise the small things. Small things in the hand of a mighty God. Number two, never be proud of your own abilities or scope of influence. Never take pride in what you can do and who you can influence. Recognizing that God begins his kingdom with small things. We ought never to get get to a place where we rely more on the methods and resources and facilities and programs that we have developed over and above the very word of God. Nothing we have is from ourselves and nothing we have is for ourselves. Any growth as a church, any growth as a Christian should come from the word of God working on you and through you, working on us and through us as the people of God. It is all from him and it is all for him. You and I, friends, we are nothing but soul filled dust heaps in the hands of a creator. We do well to know our place. Kingdom beginnings are always smaller than we might expect them to be able to do anything good. Kingdom, kingdom beginnings are always quite small. Secondly, though, from these parables, we see that kingdom results are always bigger than what we expect. Kingdom results are always bigger than what we expect. Now, the incredible smallness of this mustard seed And the incredible smallness of this bit of leaven, this bit of fermented dough, are stark images and held uh, held as a backdrop for the results of that seed and the results of that leaven. We find the product uh, of those two things to be far greater than any one person could anticipate. In the case of the mustard seed, we see this, that from one small seed in this parable comes a plant larger than any of the others in the garden, growing so large as to become a nesting place for birds, Jesus says. And for the first time this week, as I studied this passage, I saw that Jesus is actually intentionally exaggerating the size of what a mustard tree or what a mustard plant grows to. He's exaggerating the size on purpose. Now, mustard, because you all plant mustard and you all know all about it, but it's an annual spice, which means you have to plant it every year. It lives out its whole life cycle right in one season of the year and then it dies. You have to plant it again the next year. As such, most, ma- most mustard plants do not normally grow larger or taller than four to nine feet in height, though some can grow upwards of 20 feet. But most of the time, they're relatively small. They have sprawling, droopy, sort of willow-like branches, and in rare cases, they can grow quite tall, but, but it's fairly uncommon. So notice that against the common image of a normal mustard plant, Jesus is saying that from the single tiny kingdom seed comes forth a plant that towers above the common understanding of mustard's potential. 
The mustard tree that is the kingdom is one of supernatural size and production. It becomes something bigger, becomes something greater than even the best of natural mustard plants. In the case of the leaven, let's see the, the, the exaggeration, the, the, the exponential effect that the leaven has. There are three measures of flour. As we said before, nearly 50, uh, 50 pounds of, of dough is leavened and raised and made ready for baking to feed over 100 people by just a small bit, <clears throat> small ball of fermented dough. That little inauspicious sphere of flour and oil and water and yeast has the ability to multiply itself nearly 300 fold once it is folded and kneaded into the unleavened flour. This parable then serves as a wonderful picture of the divine impact and exponential growth of the kingdom of God. It starts really small and grows really big, impossibly big, supernaturally big. In both parables, we find this, that while the kingdom of heaven begins from the impossibly small, the power of God, in the power of God, it grows into the impossibly large. In both cases, far larger than the expected result might be. So then, knowing that kingdom results are always bigger than we expect, we ought then to do at least two things, I think. One, as a church and as individuals, commit to the simplicity of gospel ministry. Commit to the simplicity of gospel ministry. The smallness of the mustard seed and of the leaven serve also as symbols of the simplicity with which the kingdom of heaven is grown. There is not much more simple than a mustard seed. There's not much more simple than a little piece of leavened dough. Likewise, in the same way, simple things in the hands of God can have amazing results. The kingdom of heaven in its universal scope is immense. Yes, it is huge. God's kingdom is universal. It, he reigns all that he has created. But it's built on the irreducible simplicity of the gospel. It is built on the, the, the core, the simple core of the gospel of Jesus. It is the redemptive reign of God in Christ. That is his kingdom and the gospel is at the center of it. The kingdom of heaven is a result of God's rescue mission to save sinful men and women of all shapes and sizes, ethnicities and backgrounds as they trust their lives to the rule of Jesus who is the son of God who died on a cross for our sins and was raised again from the dead to be king and victor over sin and death. Friends, this morning, consider the simplicity of the gospel and its connection to the induction, the introduction of the kingdom of heaven by Jesus, where in Matthew 4, verse 17, we get the first summary of what Jesus's uh, preaching message is. In Matthew 4, 17, Matthew records Jesus's sermon essentially as this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's, that's how he starts his ministry preaching. Right. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? Repent. Repent means turn from your sin and your rebellion against God and submit to his rule in your life, his kingship in your life. Why? Because the redemptive reign, the rescuing reign, the, the saving rule of God through his son Jesus is nearby and advancing. Now is the time to repent because the kingdom is coming. The king is coming. Jesus' message is incredibly, incredibly simple. The gospel is almost impossibly simple. 
There are many people who are confounded by the simplicity of the gospel. You're telling me all I have to do is turn from my sin, trust in Jesus, and I'll be saved. Yes, that's all I'm telling you. Baloney. There's got to be something more to it than that. I've got to be able to do something else, right? There's got to be something else I have to tack on to that. Jesus says no. The Bible says no. The gospel is incredibly simple. Friends, there are many things that churches and Christians have and that we use to do ministry. We have things like buildings and Sunday school and and comfortable cushioned chairs. We have nice programs for children on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. We have Bible study classes on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights and throughout the week. Now, none of these things that churches have or that churches use are in themselves bad or wrong. None of them are bad or wrong in and of themselves. But if any of these things is not explicitly and completely submitted to the irreducible core of the gospel, then that thing, that building, that program, those chairs you sit in, become tools for evil and tools for advancing our ego and tools ultimately for the destruction of those that are submitting themselves to it. Friends, God will build his kingdom by his means. And his means are not our methods. His means are not our money. His means are not the things that we bring to the table. His means are what he does in us supernaturally, impossibly, in spite of us. His means is a simple message of the gospel that by faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven of sin and reconciled to God. That is how God advances his kingdom with that message. In Christian, and what you're doing in your life, in your ministry, in this church, the way you serve this church, the way you, you live your life in front of non-believers, is everything about you submitted to the irreducible simplicity of the gospel. That by faith in Christ and repentance from sin, you can be saved. God can rule in your life. You will have eternal life with the Father. Is all of your life submitted to that simple thought? I hope today that we would commit ourselves and commit this church to that. And submit everything else to it at all costs. Whatever God calls us to give up, we give up if it's not submitted to the core of the gospel. Whatever God calls us to leave behind, we leave behind if it's not submitted to Christ and the gospel. Jesus is the hero. He is our king. And if he is not the one that we're following and depending upon for all things, then we've missed it. So let's not miss it. So one, commit yourself to the irreducible simplicity of the gospel. Secondly, as you do so, as you submit and commit yourself to that, then prepare to rejoice. Prepare to rejoice. While the seed, while the mustard seed is in the ground, and even as it is growing, there's no real way of knowing just how quickly it is growing. There's no way of knowing how large it will grow when yeast is working its way through dough. It does so quietly and often slower than we would expect. But in both cases, when the seed, when it grows to a full-grown tree and the dough is fully raised, the results are always worth rejoicing in. God grows his kingdom slower sometimes than we might like or expect. Sometimes faster. He grows his kingdom quietly sometimes. And, and other times with, with quite, quite high volume. In any case... Regardless of how God chooses to work, regardless of the, the, the speed at which he chooses to work, he will grow his kingdom to the very size and scope that he so wills it to grow. And one thing is certain. 
in its full span, in its full size, his kingdom and his kingdom purposes will be immense. They will be colossal and they will be undeniably his and not ours. As we commit ourselves to the humble service of a mighty king, we can prepare to rejoice in the results of his kingdom growth because he has told us that in these parables to expect great things to come of his kingdom. To expect great things from tiny things. Expect great results from tiny things in the hands of a mighty God. William Carey, who's often uh, referred to as the father of modern uh, modern missions, in 1792, as a young pastor, young uh, particular Baptist pastor in Europe at about the age of 30, 31, he stood up in front of a convention of other pastors, many of whom older than him, to preach a sermon from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3. This is what Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 says. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations, and <clears throat> and uh, and will people will populate the desolate cities. William Carey, young Baptist pastor, saw in these verses the ever-expanding kingdom of God, and of God's redemption to any person who is blessed by God to have faith in Jesus. And his sermon there in front of that convention of of other Baptist preachers in England had only two points. His sermon is not recorded uh, for us to read, unfortunately. But but the two points of his sermon, almost everybody at that meeting agrees were this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Friends, we see a similar call in these verses today. That God's kingdom, it will be extraordinary. He has called us to expect it to be so, to prepare, to prepare for it to be so. But we see that very small things, very small things in the hands of God can bear exponential fruit. And so as mere followers of Jesus, most of us in this room who have little to no reputation in the world, we, small things, small people, can attempt great things for God as we commit to the simplicity of the gospel and submit our lives wholly to Christ. My question is, what what are the things then that we, in in the hands of God, small people of no reputation, what are the great things we will attempt for God? What are the great goals? Knowing that He will do what He wills to do by His power in us, what are the things that we will attempt for Him? What are our goals? To have 10 more baptisms in the next year? It's a small goal. Expect great things from God, right? What, what do we want more than baptisms? We want lost people saved. We want people who don't know Christ to know Christ. And how many of them do we want to know Christ? 10, 12, 15? All of them. All, thank God. I'm so glad that that was your answer, all of them. <laughs> Right? What, what are the great things that we're going to attempt for God? Will we, are we committed to attempting, to trying, to working our, our guts out that the gospel might, might invade and pervade and saturate Taylor Ranch and then the rest of Albuquerque and then New Mexico and this nation and beyond? 
I think sometimes we think about the great things that God can do, and then we look at the resources that we have, and, 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 and we're, we're discouraged by that. So there's 150, 160 of us in this room. What can God do with that? What did God do with 11 uneducated, stinky, smelly, fishermen, tax collector disciples? Set the world on fire for the gospel. And why? How? Because they were fully committed, fully submitted to Christ and his kingship, his lordship in every aspect of their lives. Christian, do you want to be used by God in extraordinary ways? I hope your answer is yes. But then also realize what you need to do to be used by God. Get small. Get real small. Small in your own eyes, small in your own mind, small in terms of reputation in the world. Become nothing so that God can do great things through people who know that they are nothing, but in the hand of, hand of the creator can do anything. But if you think you're big and you think you're strong and you think highly of yourself, right, don't be surprised if God does nothing with you. If you take pride in your abilities, be ready to be disappointed by the things that you do for God. Don't feed pride in your life. Don't seek to be proud. Don't seek to have a name. Don't seek to create a name for yourself. Seek to, to, to praise and to magnify and to exalt the only name, the name that is above every name, Jesus. Amen. Whatever the cost. And as you do that, as you commit yourself to the simple gospel of Jesus in your life, in proclaiming it to the lost, get ready to rejoice. Get ready to rejoice. God will use it. It it may not be by the thousands or the tens of thousands or the millions that God brings, brings gospel fruit in your life. But one, two, three lives saved by the gospel through your witness in their lives, through your impact in their lives... That's a lot to get you through. That is something to, to, to be happy about. That is more than enough to glorify God for. As we do that, and as God grows his kingdom in us and through us, we can then look at the things that only a sovereign God could do, like bring spiritually dead people to life and rejoice with joy inexpressible at his as his glory is displayed for us and for all the world to see as he works through us friends are we committed to to being mustard seed sized christians in the hands of god that he uses to grow his kingdom into a tree so large that birds come and nest in i hope that we are i'm going to pray as i do praise team you come in a moment we'll have a time of response where you can, you can come, you can, if you've not ever trusted Christ for salvation before, you want to do that today, you're the call of God on your heart, you want to know what it is to be saved, I'll be here to receive you. You need to come and humble yourself before God, just spend some time praying here at these steps, uh, making yourself humble so that God can use you, you come and do that today. You need to grab a mom or a grandma or a spiritual mom that's next to you and tell her thank you for making her life one like a mustard seed, giving of herself that you might grow. Go and tell her and do that. That honors them. It honors God to do so. I'm going to pray. Praise team, you come, and we're going to respond to, to God's word this morning.